This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for April 19th, 2019. In this week's episode, Apple can help you find your iPhone, but what if it could help you find your wallet? The Mozilla Foundation takes Apple to task, folding phones are having problems, and why Apple didn't release air power. The Intego Mac Podcast is presented by Intego, makers of security and utility software exclusively for Apple products since 1997. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Josh, have you ever lost your iPhone? No, and and this is something that I can't believe that people do lose their iPhone. How on earth do you lose your iPhone? That's something that's so valuable and so important. How can you accidentally leave it somewhere? <laughs> it it happens. It hit a nerve because I'm like, you know, how how why? But I know people do, so I'm not I'm not judging. Yes, it it's quite common. But rem- remember, there are multiple types of loss. One is. You forget your iPhone in a bar. Okay. Now, if I was in a bar, I wouldn't leave my iPhone on a table to start with or on a bar. So that that's, and you know, particularly because you're under the influence and you might not think of it. The second is maybe you lose your bag in which your iPhone has been housed. Um, a woman with a purse loses the purse somehow. But the third, and this is really common, is your iPhone is somewhere at home and you just don't know where. It fell down between the cushions and the couch. You can't remember which room it's in under a magazine or something. Okay, okay. I suppose that could happen. It could fall out of your pocket. That that has happened to me once or twice where it's fallen in a couch cushion when I've been sitting in a couch. But I always find it within a minute. I don't really consider that lost. But um, I think one time, though, it was so far into the cushion that I did have to use my Apple Watch and ping that device so I could hear where it was. Exactly. So that's the Find My app, which is find my iPhone, find my iPad, find my AirPods, find my Mac, etc. And so this is really helpful when it's at home because you do get that ping. I'm not going to say this too loud. Uh, I work at home and my partner's here and she has a habit of misplacing her iPhone. I don't know where it is. And the problem is that both of us, we keep our iPhones on silent. So even if I call it, We'll only hear it if we're close enough to hear the vibration. But the other day, what I did is I used to find my friends, because we both have that turned on, and I walked around the house and I watched as I was getting closer. Now, find my friends isn't really precise. It uses a combination of GPS and your Wi-Fi location. It'll show where you are, more or less, but this was actually quite precise. And it let me realize that it was on one end of the house. So we had two floors, and we went up and down, and we eventually found it. Of course, if you have multiple devices, you can use the one to ping the other, and and that's a different thing. But this whole Find My thing is really good for many reasons, because it's not just for Find My. My son was at a concert a couple years ago, and someone picked his pocket and took his iPhone. And he noticed it, and when he got home, he went to Find My iPhone, and he sent the signal to erase it and to block it, and that protected his iPhone from eventually being even used after that. But it protects your data. Uh, the same thing if someone steals your Mac, as soon as possible, either go on, you can even do this on the web. You don't have to have an Apple device to do this. Um, send that command to erase the device and you're going to protect yourself. But on the other hand, you can also find where the device is 
And there have been cases where people's devices have been stolen and they've followed them and confronted people to get them back. And I wouldn't recommend that. Maybe if you can have some, you know, authorities do it for you. But, but I think this is a wonderful technology because on the one hand, you can protect your devices. It's, it's really good security. And on the other hand, you can find them when they're someplace around. So if my partner had left her iPhone in the car and it fell down under a seat, the Find My Friends would have helped me get that. And so Find My iPhone, iPad, Mac, etc., and Find My Friends are two different apps. And it seems that Apple is going to combine these in the next version of Mac OS, presumably also the next version of iOS. And it kind of makes sense, because if you're finding one thing, why not find another thing with the same app? Yeah, exactly. And the idea is very logical, right? I mean, why have two separate apps that basically have more or less the same functionality? You're finding a different thing or, you know, a thing or a person, but either way, the, the functionality is there. You get to see where it is on a map. Um, and you you walk closer until until you meet up. So well, when you find a friend, you're not finding the friend; you're finding your friend's device. So it's almost the same. Yeah, actually, technically, that is true. You because um, you that's how you track where your friend is is through their device. So and so we're going to link to an article on Nine to Five Mac discussing this, and they're suggesting that Apple may add something else, which is a little tag that can be attached to anything, like your keys. And that would be paired to your iCloud account um, when it's near an iPhone, and it would help you find that thing. So if you happen to live with someone who misplaces their keys often, which is my case, um, you put that little tag on the keys and you can use it to find that as well. This isn't a, a new thing. There's a company called Tile that does this. There are many other companies. I think they're about 10 bucks each, these little tags. I'm not sure they work in Bluetooth or something. I've never really used them. I, I like that idea of Apple rolling this whole thing together and to find my everything. You know, if we're going to have an app that's going to be able to find anything and everything, are they going to call it the Finder? <laughs> <laughs> when, when you think about it, the Finder is kind of a funny name, isn't it? For, on the, the Mac OS Finder? Yeah, on, on the original Mac, it was to find things, but also to launch them. And in some ways, Windows Explorer isn't a better name um, because it's exploring, but it's also a launcher. And I've never really felt a, a sense of understanding that name, either, either the Finder or the Windows Explorer. But that's another story. Maybe they'll call it um, Apple Find Plus because everything is plus these days. <laughs> there you go. Find Plus. I do think the technology is interesting, though. Um, I had some friends visiting from the States last year, and they had never been in this part of the UK. Now, if you've been in the UK, you know that finding where someone lives using a GPS is extremely simple. All you have to do is enter their postcode. A postcode is like two letters, two numbers, and then a second section with a couple letters and numbers. And a postcode indicates maybe 10, 20, 30 houses at most. So they got into the airport and they put the postcode into the GPS. But previously they had shared their location with me and find my friends so I could see where they were as they were coming up here. And of course, if anything happened and they got lost, I would know where they were, but also I could see how close they were um, in order to know, have an idea when they were coming. I, I like the find my friends thing. Again, my partner and I have this on and sometimes we'll be going into town someplace in going in different locations and need to meet up. And it's relatively easy to find someone 
you know, you're looking down at your thing and seeing the little blue dot that's pulsing and you walk until you meet there. I, I like the idea of finding other things. Again, as I said, keys or a bag or, or anything like that. But the other part of the story is, uh, is, is that, you know, being able to have like a dongle or something to, to attach to, you know, a keychain. A lot of people lose their keys. And that, that kind of makes a little bit more sense to me um, than losing a phone. But, um, you know, because like maybe when you get home, you don't necessarily need to have your keys with you all the time. Like you might want to keep your iPhone with you because you might get a text message or you might want to, you know, pull it out uh, to take a picture or who knows what. But your keys, you don't really need to have with you. And so people do tend to put those down. And if you don't have a consistent place that you put them down, then you could easily lose them. Right. There are two kinds of people. One kind puts their keys in the same place every time they come into the house. The other kind just drops them someplace, and they're the ones who lose them. Yes. So so the idea of Apple potentially having some sort of a hardware dongle that you can attach to a device uh, and also be able to find that through the same Find My, whatever they end up calling it, app, um, I, that makes a lot of sense. It's sort of interesting to me to think about Apple kind of moving into those sort of not very computery consumer type devices. But, um, you know, if it integrates that well with, with an Apple service, then maybe it does make sense. Yeah, that's a good point because it's a device. It's not a computer and it's not threatening to people who don't understand technology. Uh, it, it's pretty easy to work out. I would assume you turn it on, you pair it with your phone, and your phone can find it when you're within range, and that's not complicated. And, and Apple has always been a, a company that has made the kind of things that are easier to use. In fact, we'll talk about that a little bit in the second part of the show. But that does make sense that they go into these consumer areas where technology is an add-on, where technology is not the main product. It's something to help you do things. Okay, we've got another story this week. This is from Mozilla. Mozilla is the foundation that makes the Firefox web browser. And those of us who've been using the internet for a very long time, remember Mozilla uh, is what came out of Netscape, which was the first web browser. Remember the days of Netscape? That was really thrilling when, you know, we had a browser that could do all those things like Netscape, which was basically load web pages. Yeah, I actually have used uh, Netscape Navigator. I remember they used to call it. Um, and uh, and I've also used the Mozilla browser when they had one that was just called Mozilla. That didn't last long, did it? No, I don't think so. Um, Firefox uh, sort of became the new standard, really, when it came to browsers. It was cross-platform, worked on Mac and Windows, and, um, of course, now it's also um, available for mobile platforms and, and everything. So the Mozilla Foundation has an article on their website this week called The Bug in Apple's Latest Marketing Campaign. And they're talking about Apple's uh, slogan, privacy, that's iPhone. They say it made us raise our eyebrows. You can just imagine hundreds of people's eyebrows all raising at the same time, synchronized eyebrows raising. Basically, what they're talking about is a particular feature that's available on the iPhone, which is called an advertising identifier. So an advertising identifier is a unique ID um, that is on each iPhone, and advertisers can use this to track things that you do when you're using apps. The thing is, they don't get personalized information about you. They don't know your name, your phone number, your email address. But what they do know is your behavior. And it's possible to create a profile of someone using that behavior 
which you can figure out who's doing all the things in the profile because no one does the exact same things that you do. So what Mozilla is saying is that Apple should change the unique ID for each iPhone every month. Now, you can do this manually. If you go into Settings, Privacy, Advertising, then tap Reset Advertising Identifier, this resets the identifier. Basically, it creates a new long string of characters. It's a new identifier for advertisers to record to track you. And you're not going to remember to do this manually every month or every week or even every year. Um, But Mozilla is saying that it would be a good idea if Apple were to set this as an option to allow this to be automatically reset. I think this is a great idea. What about you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, we've talked recently about how Apple, in spite of saying that they're all about privacy, there are some things that kind of make you wonder, and, and in particular with the iOS platform, and just the ease, you know, for developers to get not uniquely identifying to you as as a uh, as a person by name, but but to develop a profile about you as you're talking about. So it's definitely uh, something that Apple should consider doing. I'm actually a little. I don't know if I should say I'm a little surprised that Apple's not doing this. I think probably a reason for not doing this is because you. You know, the developers would get upset because they they do want to uh, be able to keep track of uh, of users to some degree um, to have some idea of of um, you know who their users are. At the same time, Apple is projecting itself as we're the privacy company, and so th- this is sort of a question of where does their loyalty really lie? Does it lie? Uh, in helping people who develop apps, you know, are they more loyal to them or more loyal to the consumer who just wants to protect their privacy? Apple advertises that that's who they're more loyal to. So now at the same time with Apple being called out by Mozilla like this, this is sort of putting Apple in a weird position because if Apple chooses to do exactly what Mozilla says, then that's sort of acknowledging that, oh yeah, we had a privacy problem and, uh, and oh yeah, by the way, we're also like listening to what other companies tell us that we should be doing. And that's not necessarily, um, it makes Apple look weak and, and less privacy focused. So unfortunately by Mozilla putting this out there and having a call to action for Apple to take action on this, it sort of puts Apple in a funny position where um, they're sort of darned if they do and darned if they don't. Yeah. Apple doesn't want to look like they've been pressured into this, but of course Apple is really good at coming up with ways of releasing features that have existed and making it sound like they're new and improved and magical and invented only by Apple. Kirk, you mentioned the steps that someone can follow if they want to reset this advertising ID um, and it's actually not a bad idea to schedule this, although it's not something that you can automate. It is something that you could put on a calendar or, or set a reminder for yourself to once a week or once a month to just go in and follow those steps and reset your advertising ID. That's a good idea because I have a calendar reminder to reset my cellular data statistics once a month. So I have a 30 day plan and every day where I think it's the seventh of the month, my data resets and I never go anywhere near the 15 gigs of data that I use. But I do this automatically on the first of the month. So I'm going to add that to my reminder um, as another maintenance activity to do once a month on my iPhone. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back. And that's actually a sort of a segue into what we're going to talk about in the second half of the show. We're going to talk about some breaking news. If you or someone you know has got a new MacBook or iMac, 
or switch to the Mac from Windows, be sure to check out Intego's new Mac User Center. It's a one-stop collection of the things you'll need to know about using your Mac. Intego's new Mac User Center covers plenty of the basics to get you running smoothly and smartly in no time. Of course, one of the first steps you'll want to take is to install Mac security software from Intego to keep yourself protected. And right now, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get 50% savings on Intego software, including Mac Premium Bundle X9. Mac Premium Bundle X9 is a suite of terrific Intego software that includes the antivirus, anti-phishing, and anti-spyware protection of Intego Virus Barrier, home and hotspot firewall security from Intego Net Barrier, parental controls for peace of mind from Intego Content Barrier, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today, and then use the promo code PODCAST19 at checkout to save 50%. That's PODCAST19 to save 50% on complete Mac protection and security with Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9. Intego, devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997. Visit Intego.com today. I mentioned before the break that we have some breaking news, but it's not really breaking news. It's news about breaking phones. Some of our listeners may have noticed that uh, Samsung some time ago announced a folding phone. It's called the Galaxy Fold. That's a pretty clever name. And it's basically take two iPhones. Imagine a screen that folds in half and closes up and you open it up. It's twice an iPhone or twice a Samsung Galaxy phone. What's happened, though, is reviewers have gotten early units and a lot of them are breaking. Some of them, the screen is cracking. Some of them, the bit is breaking on the fold. There's some really interesting things. Mark Gurman, who writes for Bloomberg, points out that there was a protective layer of plastic on top of the phone, and he took it off, but he didn't know he wasn't supposed to. And apparently, it wasn't clear on all the review units of these phones that you weren't supposed to take it off. But when you look at the pictures, it looks just like that kind of plastic you get on the front of a phone that you take off. Or, or the kind of plastic you sometimes see on the phone of a friend who never knew they weren't supposed to take it off, thinking it was a screen protector. Exactly. That's what that's what this makes me think of. And so this sort of seems like kind of a design flaw. And I understand, of course, you know, once once this product is generally available, there will be a lot flashier warnings to make sure that you know you may not, you know, remove this or you're going to cause damage to your phone. But uh, and, and and this is not just Mark Gurman. There there were a couple of well-known reviewers, uh, you know, and unboxers and testers of products who fell into the same trap and made the same mistake. And if these experts who do phone reviews all the time are having that problem, imagine what the typical consumer is going to do. So uh, this this is something that um, is going to be a big problem potentially for, for Samsung. Well, what about a folding phone? What do you think about it? I greeted this idea with a bit of confusion. Why would I want a folding phone? I, we recently published my review of the iPad Mini 5, which, and I even took a photo com- next to my uh, iPhone XS Max to show the difference in size, and next to my uh, iPad Pro. If you need a bigger device, just get a bigger device. I mean, I'm, I'm very wary about any electronic device that moves, that has hinges. You know, on a laptop, it's okay, because you know it's relatively well designed, but having the actual fold in the screen... It doesn't seem like the best idea. I, I, I feel like the, the biggest problem with this is that they're trying to solve a problem that isn't really there. 
They're trying to, you know, sort of make it, it seems very gimmicky to me, right? It's more of a gimmick and a cool thing that they can show off. Look, we're the first to market with a foldable screen. You know, there have been technologies that have been in development for years uh, on rolling up screens or folding screens and having them perfectly, you know, restore when you unroll or unfold them. And so Samsung gets to be one of the first companies to come out with an actual product that uses this technology. But why? That's the real question. Because... Um, sure, maybe you want a little bit bigger screen, but you know what? Why not just have a small tablet? I mean, there's all kinds of sizes. It, 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 this is an Android phone, right? Yeah, and Android comes in in hundreds of sizes. In, in every size imaginable. So I don't understand why somebody would want to have a phone that uh, seems to me like you have a much higher potential for breaking it. And I'm sure Samsung did a lot of, you know, mechanical fold and unfold tests to make sure that it's going to have thousands of folds and unfolds successfully. But uh, something about that, I I just don't think it's a good idea. Apparently, Samsung said that it could fold 200,000 times. But one of the reviewers on Twitter said, well, maybe what they really meant is that across all the devices, it could (laughs) have 200,000 folds. Uh Uh-huh. (laughs) <laughs> across every unit they sell. Exactly. Samsung has all these problems. We remember the exploding phones and the ones that burned and, and all that. And and I think this is, as you said, they wanted to be the first to market, um, but it is a problem that isn't there. I've accepted the size of my phone, that there is a limitation in my phone and that it can't magically double in size without getting more complicated. Don't forget that this is a nearly $2,000 phone you're paying twice as much as the normal phone to get twice as much phone. But, you know, how often would you really need it? Now, to be fair, the iPad mini or even a regular iPad, if you're writing a lot, if you're working on spreadsheets, it's true that you need a larger display. But then you get that device. It's If you think the cost of an iPhone XS Max, the one I have, it's a little more than $1,200, I think, in the U.S., um, the cost of the iPad mini, even with cellular, is less than $800, so it's less than the $2,000 for that folding, breaking phone. So you've got two devices that can be used in different use cases instead of one that's not going to last. Again, I, I think it's just a matter of Samsung trying trying to be first, but first isn't necessarily best. And one of the things that Apple tends to do pretty well is to kind of take a look at the market and Look at, um, you know, a lot of times there, there is great innovation on Android phones. What Apple can, can and typically does do is look at what works and what doesn't when there's some new feature that comes out and decide, does this make sense for our platform? Apple just takes its time in really kind of making those assessments. And I'm, this is a general statement. I mean, there is also stuff like force touch that's in iOS that almost nobody really uses. And that rumor has it that Apple is going to be removing that from a future version of iOS just because it's, it's not really used. But for the most part, Apple does a pretty good job, I think, of uh, identifying things that will actually be of use to end users and then waiting and making sure that that process or, or feature is perfected before releasing it. Yeah, we've seen this from 
you know, the early computers to the iPod to the iPhone, et cetera. Um, it, it's funny because a couple of weeks ago I saw a few articles saying that um, Apple's being left behind because they haven't announced a folding phone yet. I'm sure that the Apple executive suite is having a lot of snickers today over this thing. Will Apple come out with a folding phone? Who knows? No one would have thought 20 years ago that they'd come out with a phone. No one would have thought, you know, 30 years ago that we'd have any of these devices. So it's entirely possible that someone comes up with a screen technology that can fold easily. You've talked about the screens that roll up and every once in a while you see at the Consumer Electronics Show um, someone showing a prototype of that. And it it kind of unrolls and it's it's like this really thin plastic. I'm I'm thinking, you you ever see those um, magnifying glasses that are like book page size that you use in dictionaries, right? It's that kind of plastic. It's thin and it's a little bit rigid. I would love to read a book on something like that, but I'm not going to be the first one to buy a roll-up Kindle just for the sake of it rolling up because the Kindle works fine. I mean, this is always the question about innovation in order to try and sell something as a gimmick or innovation because there's a real need for innovation. I think the original iPod was a good example. It was the first one that really had that much storage in it. Five gigabytes at the time was a lot. But on the other hand, let's look at the HomePod, which Apple released as a sort of a combination of uh, what they thought was a good sounding speaker, not everyone agrees, and a smart speaker. Now, my take on the HomePod, and I've reviewed it on the Intego Max Security blog, I'll put a link, is that it can sound good, and if you don't really care about really good sound, you'll be relatively happy, but it's really expensive. The thing about the HomePod is anyone who buys it is going to be using Apple devices. You you need an Apple device to set it up. So do you really need a smart speaker when you've already got an iPhone, an Apple Watch, an iPad, or whatever? It's like the smart speaker bit, the hey, you know who bit. It, was that the original idea for the speaker? Was the quality speaker the original idea? Was it two separate products that they put into one? They recently dropped the price by $50, which is a good sign that um, it's not really doing too well. That that one seems to me Apple trying to play catch up for something that really wasn't that original. Yeah, and and like I said, I mean there are definitely exceptions to the rule. Um, you also have other things like the the Mac Pro. Um, the version of the Mac Pro that Apple still sells is years old, at many years old at this point. Two thousand thirteen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that's ridiculously old. I mean, who wants a Pro machine with hardware that old? Uh, it's it's sort of um, it, it's sort of baffling that Apple is even still selling a, a, a Mac Pro ba- based on that uh, on that ancient architecture at this point. Um, and and Apple has said, and they've they've invited journalists privately to come, you know, tell them about you know this planned modular format Mac Pro. And we've learned from our mistakes because it was a mistake um, to have an all-in-one device that um, it was so compact and so non-user upgradable. They made it very difficult to to really upgrade a, a, a pro machine. And that's something that pros want to do. They want to take apart a machine and upgrade it, it, internal components. You could take apart the Mac Pro. I had one. You just twist the cylinder and take it off and you could add RAM. And I think you could even put PCI cards. But the real problem was that they hadn't foreseen how much heat the newer graphics cards would be giving off, and the device couldn't handle that much heat. So they they had designed themselves into a corner that they couldn't expand that design. They could make a bigger cylinder, maybe, but um, you know they did have an interesting system of airflow that the air would right. come in at the bottom and go through the device and, and cool it off. But they found themselves limited just 
by the thermal dynamics of graphics cards that have gotten so so powerful. Um, the idea of a, a module or Mac Pro just brings us back to the days of the the previous Mac Pro, the what we call the cheese grater one, the aluminum one, um, which was incredibly modular. You'd flip the side open, you could switch hard drives, you could add RAM, you could put PCI cards in. But the problem is that Apple doesn't want that big device anymore. They want something small. For them, computing today is compact. You know, you look at the size of an iMac. Um, it, it's only that big because of the screen. A, a computer is, is a Mac Mini. You need bigger if you have a bigger video card that that gives off more heat, but you don't need a lot of space for a computer. Um, so they don't they don't want to go back to that cheese grater model, which had plenty of air and and space in in it, and they want something that is that has good design. And sometimes the good design can make it harder to release a product that people really want to use. Yeah, and the the thing is, for some pros. Uh, I, I think there are definitely a lot of pros. And for, of course, Apple has made an iMac Pro, which sort of, for a lot of pro users, this meets their needs just fine. It has all the latest you know, uh, hardware that an, a Mac user might want. Um, it's not as expandable, um, but it, it, you can always expand externally. And, and that's actually something that you could even do with the current, you know, ancient Mac Pro is you can put a, an external graphics processor unit. Um, it's, it's possible to upgrade them in that way. Uh, and, and so maybe that's the way that it's done moving forward. Um, but the thing is, Apple's already sort of made this promise. What what makes some people a little bit nervous who are really looking forward to an updated Mac Pro is the fact that Apple recently canceled AirPower, um, which was going to be their charging mat. They had announced it publicly and then pulled it. They announced it at a keynote. They didn't just announce it publicly. It was a big deal. Um, and, and the thing with the air power, so I have one of those little Qi charging devices. It's in the bedroom, and I put my iPhone on it, but I have to put the iPhone in almost exactly the right spot to get it to work. And the iPhone vibrates the same as when you plug in with a lightning cable. What Apple wanted to do with the air power is make it so you could put your device anywhere on it. You could put your iPhone, the new AirPods, your Apple Watch, and you wouldn't have to center it so perfectly over that circle. And it was going to be big enough to hold two or maybe even three devices. And they just found that, again, this was a heat problem, that the heat from the different coils um, was just too much. And it's kind of surprising that they would have actually gone to the trouble of announcing it the way they did and not know that this was going to be a problem. Right. It seems like um, at that point in time, they would have had to have enough prototypes uh, and, and revisions where they or Apple really felt confident that they were going to be able to resolve those heat issues, and then um, the fact that Apple just gave up at some point and said, "You know, never mind, we're not going to release that product," is pretty surprising. This is a this is very uncharacteristic of of Apple, and it sort of m- makes you wonder about other you know potentially uh, future features and products that Apple has. Even if they've announced it, it's not safe. You know, it could still get canceled. Yeah. It's worth noting that they must have really come to that decision very recently. They announced the air power cancellation maybe a month ago. They must have come to the decision very close to that time because the second generation AirPods they release uh, mention the air power on the box. So they had already printed up the packaging saying you could use these new AirPods with the air power. And they must have been that close to either producing it or giving it up. 
just one comment. Most people don't know this, that when Apple presents a device like that, they are not showing you pictures or videos of prototypes. They're showing you 3D renders. Pretty much every Apple product photo that you see on their website is a 3D render. None of these are photos anymore. These are all done in computer-assisted drawing apps, and they can turn them to any direction. They can alter the lighting, and it's perfect. And, and I was actually listening to a photo podcast the other day, and someone was talking about the good old days when you'd be taking pictures of a Bentley. You'd saw off the roof, and you'd hold your camera above it to get pictures of the interior. It's all 3D renders now, so you don't need to do that anymore. So you can't trust from a picture that a manufacturer shows you that that, that thing really exists. Yeah, I suppose so. It's it's the one of the downsides of living in a Photoshop world. Ooh, living in a Photoshop world. That should be a song. All right. <laughs> All right. Until next week, Josh, stay secure. All right. Stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And... If you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the online show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software. Intego.com.